Well, praise the Lord. It's a tr- treat to be here. We'll try again next week. <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit of a clarification why I've taken the liberty of sitting down. You, know, you may know if you've attentively read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave that sermon sitting down. And in that culture, for a teacher to sit was a posture of authority. So I'm hoping that there's authority resting on me this morning. Now, there was another reason that uh, I have a condition that starts with an H that old men often get called a, a hernia. I just had to get it fixed and have been postponing it for years and finally repented and decided to go and get it looked after. And uh, I'll give some advice, especially to the gentleman if a doctor tells you, oh, I'll do it, fix your hernia. And it, after a couple of weeks, the soreness and all that will be, all be over Get it in writing, okay? <laughs> because uh, I'm walking around very slow, and it's, uh, and it's much, much easier to, to be seated. So Norm was very kind and said I could speak sitting down. So, Lord, we commit these next minutes to you now, and it's an exciting message for me because I love the book of Psalms. We pray your Holy Spirit would be here and speak to every single one of us. For your honor and glory, amen. Both congregations this summer... Um, Rathgar and Panet Road are doing an extended study of the book of Psalms. And our goal for this morning is to do an overview intro to the whole book. Uh, what are Psalms? What are they all about? And then the, the succeeding with the following weeks yet to come, uh, the plan is to have people come and speak on each morning on a given particular psalm. So this morning, it's more like the whole book. And we're calling, it, we're calling this fuel for the Godward life. And fuel is really what the psalms are. The place of the psalms is just to lead off. How do they fit into the whole Bible? Um, the illustration we have there, we've used that before here. That, of course, is Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the Emmaus Road. Remember that in Luke 24, he's talking to those two discouraged and bewildered disciples. And initially, they don't even realize this is Jesus, but then, of course, they find out. And one of the things he says to them, it's in Luke 24, verse 44, is this, quote, Everything written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Luke 24, 44, law, prophets, and Psalms. What I take from that is that in Jesus' view of the Hebrew Scriptures, and if ever there was a, a sound place to go to get an overview of the Scriptures, it's Jesus. In his own view, the, the, the whole book, the Old Testament, falls into these three categories, law, prophets, and psalms. Now, each of the three has a distinct role within the whole Old Testament. The law is, can we have the next slide? That would be great. Hello? There we are, wonderful. The law, the purpose of the law is instruction. If you've been around around. Uh, a little while learning about the Old Testament, you'll probably know the Hebrew word Torah it means instruction. And that was the purpose of it. We have a picture of the priest reading the law and teaching, instructing the people from it. The purpose of the prophets, both in their oral, verbal ministry, public preaching, and in their writings, 
if you want to put it in one word, I would suggest admonition, admonition. And that can mean a stern warning. It can mean a rebuke. It can mean an appeal. Come back to God. Come back to the, to the covenant. And then also they helped get Israel's eyes on the future for what God would yet do, sending the Messiah. It was admonition, calling the people up. But then there's this third, very powerful segment of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Psalms. If the first one is instruction and the second one's admonition, the third one we're going to see is fuel. And it's fuel for worship. The place of the Psalms. The Psalms honor the law. If we could keep the slides clicking along, that would be great. The Psalms honor the law. Um, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, both, and as well as other Psalms, are about the psalmist's love for and passion for the law of Moses. The Psalms reinforce and exalt the law. There's a literary feature of the book of Psalms, which is not an accident. It's very theologically deliberate. The book of Psalms is divided into five segments. If you're taking notes and want the sequence, it's the segments beginning with Psalm 1, Psalm 42, Psalm 73. So 1, 42, 73, 90, and then 107. Those uh, are the beginnings of the five segments of the, the broader book of Psalms. And why was it divided five ways? Well, of course, it was very deliberate to remind the readers of the five books of Moses. And there's a message in this that God doesn't want us to take the book of Psalms and sort of put it down on a lower shelf with Moses' law at the top. You know, that's what that group we read about in the Gospels because they were always critical of Jesus. They were called the Sadducees. And they had some funny ideas theologically, one of which was they only acknowledged the five books of Moses as inspired scripture. The prophets they didn't see as inspired and the Psalms they didn't see as expired, inspired. <laughs> they were the ones that were expired. So the, the Sadducees, and, but we can't do that. And it's, there's a clue that in God's own sight, the Psalms is meant to sit on the same shelf as the law of Moses and as the books of the prophets, hence the five-fold division. The place of the Psalms. We can, the Psalms even impact on the New Testament. A picture of... Am I missing a slide here? No, that's good. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there we are. Mary. The Psalms, pardon me, the New Testament, I should say, leads off with a psalm. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She sings in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following. It's traditionally been called the Magnificat. And that comes from the Roman Catholic Vulgate Latin Bible, Magnificat, which means uh, magnify. And she says, you know it, we've sung it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And you know what she sings there? She sings a psalm. The events that are going to lead to the birth of the Savior, turning point of the world from Scripture, it begins with a psalm. Philippians 2 verse 5 and following, Philippians 2 verse 5 is what 
we call what is sometimes called the Christ hymn. It's a hymn that was sung in the early church. Um, he was in the form of God, but he did not take advantage of his equality with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And in many English Bibles, and rightly so, I agree with this, it's, it's laid out in the form of poetry. Now, you know what Paul is quoting there? We don't know if he wrote those lines or if he's quoting them as words that were popularly sung in the early church. Could have been either way. But it's a psalm about the glory of Christ and him taking the form of a servant. The psalms in the New Testament, Ephesians 5 verse 19, uh, Paul's talking to the Ephesians of how they can build one another up in their faith. Here's, here's a good way to do it. Speaking to one another with psalms. Ephesians 5.19, quoting together Old Testament uh, texts and, and along with songs from the Spirit, it's a way we can edify and encourage one another. Even the book of Revelation, it's actually got a goodly number of psalms. An important one is in chapter 5, Revelation 5, uh, verse 9. And this is where John has this vision. He can see into the throne room of heaven and he can see the living creatures and the angels and the glorified saints and they're worshiping the Lamb of God. He sees the throne, the one sitting on the throne, God himself, and then seated or standing rather in the midst of the throne is the Lamb looking as if it had been slain. And they start to worship. And if you look in Revelation 5, 9, the worship takes the form of a psalm. Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain. And by the word there for slain is probably better translated slaughtered. It's actually a very gory word in Greek. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed men for God from every tribe and nation. Oh, it's glorious stuff. They're singing a psalm. The psalms, of course, mostly in the Old Testament, are part of the fuel God has given us in order to worship him. That's a word about the place of the Psalms in the Bible. We need we want look to also to look at the art of the Psalms, the, with the fancy fountain pen, the art of the Psalms. Psalm 45, Psalm 45 verse 1 in the NIV says, "My tongue is the pen of a <clears throat> of a skillful writer." Psalm 45 verse 1 my tongue is the pen of a, what kind of writer? A skillful writer. When that psalmist wrote that psalm, he didn't write it sitting in the back seat of the car on the way to the meeting. Did you know there are preachers that make up their sermons that, that way? Okay, on, the, on the way to the meeting in the back seat of the car. I don't know any, but I've read about people that do that. So, But the, the psalmists didn't do it that way. They, he, he wrote, they wrote their songs, their psalms, with skill. Here's a few examples. They use vivid imagery, metaphors, and similes. One example, and maybe this fellow in the, in the, being pulled out of the water there, I suspect it's a refugee in the Mediterranean in recent months. Psalm 69, verse 1, that fellow could identify with this, says, the waters have risen up to my neck. Now that's vivid imagery. You feel like you're drowning. We all know what that can feel like. Someone says, how are you doing? 
and you feel like saying, I feel like I'm drowning. And a way to express that in vivid metaphor and imagery as the waters have risen up to my neck. Another vivid image, but a much happier one, is in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's got peace in it. It's got rest. It's got contentment. And the way the psalmist evokes those ideas of rest and peace and contentment is a picture of green grass. The Psalms use those kinds of very visual images. Let's do about a 30-second little study here. Probably won't even take that long. These are the opening lines that we have on the screen from Psalm 19. We already mentioned that psalm. It's one of the psalms that delight and exalt, exalt in the law of Moses, in God's law. Oh, pardon me. I'm ahead of myself. Let me back up. These lines are not about the law of Moses. These are about the, um, the physical creation. The second half of that psalm is about the law. The first half is about the physical creation. And here's the first four lines. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Take just a very brief few moments, just have a careful gaze at those four lines and see if you notice anything about how the four lines interconnect. Okay? Just have a look. It's a great Psalm 19. The first half is about the physical cosmos. The second half is about the written word. And each one reinforces the other. Now notice how line three echoes line one. You notice that? There's a, it's very clear. It's very deliberate in the way this psalm is structured. These psalms were not written in a haphazard way. Line three, the sky above echoes the idea of the heavens. And the idea of proclaiming in line three looks right back to the word declare in line one. All the, the various lines are deliberately laid out the way they are to, to speak to us. Then similarly, line four connects back to line two. So his handiwork the physical universe, is the way he demonstrates his glory. If you want to see the glory of God, well, one way, go out on a, on a clear night and look at the heavens, look at the stars. That's his handiwork, and it proclaims his glory. There's, there's all sorts of parallels between the lines, and the Psalms, these are called uh, parallelisms. There's all different kinds of parallelisms, and there are literally hundreds of them in the book of Psalms. It's part of the art of the Psalms. Another way we see the art of the Psalms is in their subject matter. <clears throat> if we can keep the slides clicking along, that would be great. Thank you. Super. They begin, the, you, the, we see here the, the overall broader structure of the whole book. 
not just are the individual poems that make the book up uh, inspired by God, but so is the arrangement of the particular poems in the book, like which one got put where. Some fascinating things you get into. It's not chronological uh, in terms of when they were written. In fact, the oldest psalm is number 90, and that was written by Moses long before. Most of, most of them were written in David's day or after. So stuck in the middle, you've got one written by Moses. So it's the oldest, but they didn't put it at the beginning. It's, it's partway through. So there's interesting things you can think about with the overall structure, and here is one example. The book of Psalms begins with one man, one person, one Israelite, quietly, personally, meditatively spending time with God's Word. Meditating day and night, he says, on God's Word. Just one person. So then you go, that's Psalm 1. Then you go through the whole 150 Psalms that make up the book. You get to the last three, 148, 149, 150, and it's like, it, it talk about praise. It, they pull out all the stops. We've got nature, you fruit trees, you praise the Lord. Young men, you praise the Lord. Old men, you praise the Lord. Maidens, uh, the whole, f the seas, the oceans, the mountains, the stars, the moon, the sun. The psalmists are calling on all these different aspects of creation to worship God. It's, 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 it's huge. It's huge. Very, it just hooks the imagination. Someone said those three psalms together are like Handel's Hallelujah Chorus on steroids. <laughs> That's what, almost what you've got there. So notice, step back and see the big picture. It starts with one person sitting in his chair in his house with the Word of God, just quietly meditating. And that's precious, that's powerful, and that's important. But then you get back, and at the other end of the story, you've got the whole universe shouting out praise and glory to God, a profound way for the book to be organized. It's part of the art, the art of the Psalms. Another way is in the very vivid variety that the book has. It's full of variety. Someone has called it a coat of many colors. Remember Joseph's cloak uh, that his father Jacob gave him. And the whole book of Psalms, in a way, is like that. It's got variety in it. There's all different kinds of Psalms. I've got four. I'll mention very briefly on each one, but the, this, there's lots more than four. But here are four. History Psalms. History Psalms, and a good example of a history psalm is Psalm 105. Psalm 105, it's a history psalm. The history psalms would recite the mighty acts of God. They would recall and go back and revisit the wonderful things God, has, God had done. Psalm 105 is an example. It, it mainly concentrates on the exodus from Egypt. It's very dramatic. Another kind of psalm is a confidence psalm. Psalm. Probably the classic example of that is the 23rd Psalm. Green grass, lying down, resting, having plenty to eat. The Lord's my shepherd, I will not lack. Not this sheep, because God's, he's got the right shepherd. It's a confidence Psalm. It's full of peace and rest. Another kind of Psalm is 
are high praise psalms, psalms of high praises. We looked at one of those already, 150, along with 148 and 149. But 150 is where they pull out all the stops. It's the high praises. It's very charismatic. Let's grab a tambourine or grab the clashing cymbals. Make a lot of noise. It's high, exuberant, exultant praise. A fourth kind, and again, this by no means exhausts the list, is the Psalms we call laments. Laments, L-A-M-E-N-T, laments. And laments are songs, are psalms that cry out to God in bewilderment or in sorrow or in pain. And the ones, there's several of the psalms that start out saying, how long, O Lord? How long? Psalm 13 begins that way. And you, the psalmists are brutally honest sometimes. Sometimes, why have you rejected us? Psalm 42. Uh, why do you, uh, why, why have you forgotten us? I think that's 42 as well. So they take their feelings and put it right out on the table in front of God. And I don't read anywhere that God gets offended by all this. It's how they connected with God in the midst of their pain. They're called laments. These are all the coat of many colors. It's part of the glory of the Psalms. Whatever emotions or circumstance you may find yourself in, there's something in the Psalms custom made for you because there's so much variety. The Psalms are music. This is something, it's, it's probably one of those things that's so obvious we miss it. <laughs> uh, they are music. The names that we have for the book of Psalms, there's more than one. Our English word psalm, P-S-A-L-M, comes from the Greek word, and they pronounce the P in Greek. They called them the psalmoi, psalmoi. And that's the plural Greek for songs. They just called them songs, and that's an entirely accurate way to translate the title of the book. The Greek Bible, of course, is the one they made around 200 years before Jesus because lots of people at that point couldn't read the old classic Hebrew, so they translated the whole thing into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, when you turn open up to the book of Psalms, it says psalmoi, which to a Greek speaker just says songs. Now, that should suggest Music, <laughs> like I said, it's so obvious we can miss it. These were intensely, richly musical. Of the 150 psalms, 50 plus, I didn't get the exact count, but it's more than 50 of them, between 50 and 60, are introduced with the words. If you read right at the very top of the, the, the psalm, it'll say the words, to the choir master or in some versions, to the director of music. It's a strong signal. We are meant to sing these things. They were music. Of course, the artist's impression of King David, the, the classic greatest of the psalmists. By the way, jot this verse down. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 23, 1. 2 Samuel 23, 1. It's like sort of an end of life summary about King David, and he's called the sweet singer of Israel. I love that. 
the sweet singer. Some Bibles say psalmist, but it actually says the sweet singer of Israel. Hence the frequent references to the choir master. In some of the Psalms, and a good example is number 56, Psalm 56, 1, they give the tune. Now, unfortunately, they didn't have MP3 recorders back in those days, so we could listen, oh, that's what it sounded like. But we do have references to the titles of the tunes, not just the title of the psalm, but the title of the tune. And the tune to which they sang Psalm 56, it says it was according to, quote, the dove on far-off terebinths. A terebinth is a species of of an oak tree in the Middle East. And they had a a tune that was very popularly known. And if I said to you, you said to me, you know that little that little tune that we call to the dove, the dove on the far-off terebinths, on the far-off oak trees, everybody would have known that, that melody. And when it said at the top of the psalm, in the book of Psalms, and when the choir master would have the rehearsal for the choir to sing that psalm, they were supposed to sing that psalm to that tune. These are tune signals when it says according to such and such. Tune is something that goes with music, The point is all of these poems, 150 of them, are songs that we can sing to God. That's why they're there. They are fuel for worship. Now, everything I've said so far was introduction. And please don't get scared because the concluding point is important, but it's it's fairly brief. We need to wrap up by looking at the purpose of the Psalms. This is perhaps the most important important. What's the, why did God give them to us? I want to suggest that he gave them to us to be fuel. Fuel for worship. If we go back to an event we've already mentioned, namely the crossing of the Red Sea, when they came out of the water, there's that great scene in chapter 15 where they praise the Lord. Chapter 14 of the book of Exodus is a description of the actual event of the crossing of the Red Sea. Okay, the waters open, the people go through on dry ground, didn't even get mud in their sandals, it was dry. That's how, that was the magnitude of the miracle. And then, of course, it closes in when, on Pharaoh when he tries to pursue them. So for, chapter 14 is the event itself. Then comes chapter 15, when Miriam and all the Israelites together and Moses, they begin praising the Lord. And chapter 15 is a psalm. So let's notice the impact of this. If we believe the psalms are a rich, an important part of the word of God, on the back of the biggest saving event, in the Bible, except for the resurrection. I think I'm probably on fairly safe ground to say that. On the back of the, one of the biggest miracles in all of Scripture, what's the f- people's first response? What's their first order of business? They've just come through the sea. What do they do? They sing a psalm. Great is the Lord. What is it? It's got uh, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Our kids used to love singing that. My daughter, Susan, some of you know Susan, when she was very young, that was her favorite church song. 
I don't know how she ever quite got this idea, but she called it horse and cow. She said, Mom, Mommy, can we sing horse and cow? And I've kept going back to say, where are the cows? There's no cows in this. So, but anyway, she, she called it horse and cow. And horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. He, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. It's, it's, it's militant, victorious praise that God has brought judgment on Pharaoh because he tried to destroy Israel. Not a good way to get on God's good side, try to destroy Israel. And it's, it's, it's vivid, it's dramatic, it's powerful. And that's what they sing. And what, what they sing is a psalm, and they sing the psalm as a means of worshiping God. The, the birth of this new people of God, this new covenant, well, it's still the old covenant, but it's, for them it's new. First order of business is worship. They're born to be a, a, a nation of worshipers. And of course, when you know, centuries later, some four centuries on after the Red Sea, they're in the temple under um, uh, King David and he organizes, you get, especially get this in First and Second Chronicles, the elaborate detailed provisions that uh, David brought so they could be a worshiping people with liturgy and directors of music and they would have rehearsals and all different kinds of instruments and so forth. It was very rich. The first picture on the banks of the Red Sea is fulfilled in the second one in the temple centuries later. They're doing the same thing. They're worshiping. And much of the way they worship is through the Psalms. Again, the coat of many colors. There's many different emotions and feelings that we get in this book. For example, the, the faith-building power of history psalms. We remember what God has done. He led us out of Egypt. Celebrating the care we have in, in God's hand because we're his sheep and he invites us to lie down in the green grass. Times of exuberant praise, raising our hands in worship, grab a tambourine, praise his name loudly. And then, of course, laments when we believe in God, but something just doesn't make sense. And we can't shake the feeling of, Lord, why did you allow this? What is going on? And maybe in the short term, we don't get a clear answer. And then there's that call to just keep trusting him. That's where we need the lament psalms. Three is a lament. Psalm 3, so is thirteen forty-two. There's lots of those. Laments prompt us to say, how long? They prompt us to say, have you forgotten us? They prompt us to say, have you rejected us? We can bring all that stuff out of our hearts. Years ago, I helped operate a house cleaning service. I did it for about seven years. And we had some interesting experiences um, cleaning houses, some of which badly needed it. And... Uh, Sometimes you would be in a place maybe where there had been upheaval in the family, the family had separated, social services, services had intervened about things, and um, lots of yucky things would go on, and you get called in to try and bring some order to the house, a professional cleaning service. And sometimes we would be just be unloading in and out of the house with garbage bags full of stuff. It was bringing all this gunk and garbage and trash and stuff that should have been thrown out a hundred years ago, taking it out to the back lane and leaving it for the trash collection. And, you know, sometimes the Psalms, it's almost like that. Lord, I need to unload. 
I need to unload. Here's the stuff that's going on in my heart. I've got some pretty big garbage bags. I'm needing to unload them. Why have you forgotten us? Why is my son sick? Why did my, my husband lose his job? Whatever it might be, we're allowed to say that. In fact, we're encouraged to say that to, it's part of the coat of many colors, this glorious resource of worship that we have. Now, I'm coming into land, so stay with me. If the God next to you has fallen asleep, you can nudge him and wake him up. Tell him not to miss this. In the time between, there's the book, yep. That says, that says praises on the front. That's Hebrew. It just says tehalim is the word. It means praises. And in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, the name they gave it was psalmoi, which meant songs. In the original version of the scripture, which was in Hebrew, it said praises. That's the Hebrew word for praises. As we've seen already, I hope, the book of Psalms has a bewildering amount of variety. It's a coat of many, many colors. When they edited it, sometime between the return from the exile and the coming of Jesus, in there sometime, we don't know exactly. It was scribes and rabbis worked on it. They put it together, put the Psalms in in a particular sequence, and then they bundled them all together and then wrote on the front cover what they were going to call it. They could have called it Poems and Songs on Miscellaneous Topics. They could have called it any number of things. What they called it was praises. Now, don't let this bounce off the outside of our heads this morning. Some of what's going on in that bundle, in the bundle of poems called praises, doesn't sound very praisey when you first read it. If someone says, why have you forgotten us? Why have you turned your back? I would, my first way of describing that would not be to call it praise. You see what I'm saying? So how do they do this? Now, this is, I think this is something only the Holy Spirit can show us. And I need him as much as you do to see this. Even the laments were seen as praise. Because we have such a big-hearted, wise, and redemptive God. He says, come. I know you're mad. I know you don't understand, but come. Come anyway. Pour out your heart in front of me. Come on. Tell me your sorrows. There's one of the scenes in the, the, uh, the Narnia books where Aslan comes to one of the children who is very distressed and upset and, and full of dismay, and he just draws near, Aslan does, the lion. Child, tell me your sorrows. And God invites us to do that, to pour out our hearts before him. Even the laments can be seen as praise. We have a God that's so good that even yelling at him can be a source, a means of praise because it testifies to, to his stability. He's not going to get his nose out of joint. He'll let us rant. He'll comfort us over time. He'll help us understand and then we find out he's big enough to care for us, even in a really dreadful place. That's why the laments are there. And that's why they were included in the bundle that ancient Israel called praises. Again, this is something only the Spirit can give us. You can't just get this at a human level, I don't think. Final point. I'm giving it back to, to Norm. Leviticus 1.7. And back to the campfire that we started with. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, 
and the sons of Aaron the priest shall arrange wood on the fire. Hear it once more. Leviticus 1.7. And the sons of Aaron the priest, which they were all priests, shall arrange wood on the fire. They worked in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And there was an altar and offerings would be made on the altar, but you had to burn them like a grain or a a butchered animal. It would be set on top of the, the fire and offered up to God. But you had to arrange the wood. And it says that they arranged the wood not just on the altar, but on the fire which suggests to me that you would be putting a piece of wood into the fire that was already burning. You see my logic there? They arranged the wood on the fire. Had to make sure your hands didn't get burned to keep the fire burning, to keep the fire burning. The fuel the Levites had for worship was wood. The fuel we have for worship is words. It's called the book of Psalms. Those words can include songs that we will write. Why not write Psalms? They won't get to sit on the shelf with the Psalms of the Bible, but they can edify the church. The Levites' fuel was wood. The church's fuel is words. Once more, the different kinds of words, words of high praise. Be unapologetic, good old-fashioned Pentecostal charismatics. Make some noise. The Bible endorses that. Psalm 150, yeah. Words of high praise, Psalm 150. Words of history, Psalm 105 is a good example. They list and recite the things that God has done for them. You know, uh, when some of you know, most of you, about our son John, Two or three months ago, I had a stroke, and we're still working through the aftermath of that. But one thing I did to keep myself positive in this, because this recovery is proving slow, but God knows, and he's with us. But one thing I've done for my own emotional health in it, I've got a list of all the good things we've seen in this situation. I can see the grace of God there. I can see the grace of God there. The way that worked out, that was the grace of God. That was God helping us even in the midst of this. I was reciting the things God had done. That's Psalm 105. You make up your own lists like that for your own life. An affirmation of God's faithful, gentle care. The sheep lying down at rest, at peace, in munching on a mouthful of green grass. The 23rd Psalm. You can't beat that one. And of course, another kind of wood or words is lament. It's healthy and it's appropriate, according to Scripture, to bring God our frustrations. And even the expressing of those frustrations can be a form of worship to God. The psalmist's examples of vexation and bewilderment got bundled into that book that was simply called Praises. And your lamentations can be praises as well. The English word worth, the English 
word worship comes from an old English word, which I don't know how to pronounce. It's something like worship, and I'm massacring it, I'm sure. And it basically meant to say that someone was worthy. That was the heart of worship. And hence, in many places in Scripture, in the, old, in the book of Psalms and in the book of Revelation, we get these scenes usually expressed in poetry where it says, you are worthy. That's the heart of worship. And these are ways that we can testify that God is worthy. High praise, celebrating His care, green grass, uh, reciting the good things He has done, and then even bringing Him our pain and our sorrow and our bewilderment and saying, Lord, you're going to have to deal with this because I sure can't and I am really mad at you. And it becomes praise in that moment. Go figure. It's the way God is. Let me praise you. pray for you. I almost said praise you. Well, praise God. That's a better bet. I'll turn it back to Norm. Father, we, we thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you for your word. I pray that as both congregations this summer take, take out time to study this book, the book of Psalms, that uh, you would be with us. It would be a rich experience. It would, even years from now, we would be looking back saying, I really touched God in a new way by spending time in his word in the book of Psalms in the summer of 2017. I pray even this afternoon we'd be able to take out time and meditate on this part of your word and you would speak to us and enable us to connect with you. Help us to tap into this fuel, the fuel of words that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.